Let's uh, meet our speaker for the next two weeks. Because over the next two weeks, we've got a... Tim, you can come on up. We've got a, a guest speaker um, speaking on the Psalms, our series on the Psalms and emotions in the Psalms. And Tim uh, is going to uh, speak to us. So, hi, Tim. G'day. How are you going? Oh, hang on. Am I on? I'm You're on. on. G'day. Uh, who are you, your family, and what do you do? Yes. So, I am Tim. That's me. Uh, My family, I'm married to Kat. We have two kids, Poppy, who's 13, and Jonty, who's one. So a big sort of age gap there. Uh, And what do I do? Well, I try to give as much time as I can to my family, uh, loving them, caring for them, uh, serving them. Uh, When I'm not doing that, uh, I work at the Bible College of South Australia, where I try to give my time to teaching the Bible and helping people get formed to serve in uh, Christian ministry. Excellent. And what's your role there? Uh, I do a bunch of things. Um, my, my title is the principal, but uh, really what that means is I just have more hats to wear than other people. But we're a team. We work together, um, teaching, forming. I get a bit more admin because of that. Yeah. Bad luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you're going to be speaking to us on uh, two psalms mm. over the next two weeks. Uh, and today's on guilt. Yes. And and next week's on joy. Yep. A kind of to obvious things. Um, I don't want you to give away your talk, so we'll, we'll look at that a bit later. But I thought what we do today is just ask you, um, what is something you are really passionate about? Something I'm really passionate about? Well, I'm very convicted that the gospel of Jesus is the message of life for people, the message of forgiveness, the message of hope. Um, so it, it's, kinda, it's kind of the right answer, but it's also true. Um, I'm just passionate about seeing people come to know Jesus, uh, either the first time or more and more deeply. Um, that's what drives me. Yeah. Uh, have you given much thought to how do we engage with people who don't know Jesus? Yep, I have. Uh, so I've worked uh, for a while teaching um, evangelism, which is a subject you can teach at a Bible college, uh, and really helping students to think about that. Uh, so that's a great... Um, kind of passion of mine as well to tool people up to share the message of Jesus yeah Uh, all right well if you do that can you give us some tips or thoughts that you have on that in you know just a couple minutes that's easy yeah sure 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 well the funny thing is it is actually easy that is one of the things we can do in classrooms is overcomplicate things and kind of read big academic tomes and think oh you have to be the world expert to do this and it's just not true um if I was kind of saying the things you need to think about to share your faith in Jesus with others. Uh, A couple of things I'd say. First is I think you just need to own for a starter, if you're a Christian believer, that this is part of what you're called to do. Like we could look at lots of parts of the Bible that teach us that, but uh, right now I hope you can just take that on trust. Part of your identity is to proclaim the mighty acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So if you don't own that as part of what your role is, someone who's meant to share the good news of Jesus, then you won't do it because you think that's not what I do. But once you own that as part of, oh, this is, this is what I need to do, this is who I am, I'm a proclaimer, then that'll shape that. Mm. The other thing I'd say is the Christian message of salvation is best shared in the context of relationships because people uh, trust messages that come from people with whom they have a healthy and good relationship. So I'd say if you want to share the good news of Jesus then the first thing you need to do is have good relationships with people who aren't believers. The second thing you have to do, though, is share the good news of Jesus with them. Because I think lots of Christians get into a place where they say, uh, I've got lots of relationships with people who aren't Christian believers, 
but we never talk about Jesus. Mm. So it's that tricky thing of investing deeply in relationships on the one hand, and the other hand, not being ashamed in those relationships to have the name and the praise of Jesus on your lips. Mm. So that would be, it's not complicated, but you need to be a bit intentional about it, and um, I think they're the main things I'd say. Excellent. If Steve's here, I think that's his outline for one of his electives. And we're in our uh, day away, one of the electives is on how do we think outside our Christian bubble and engage with people who don't know Jesus? And I think owning it, mm. having relationships, and then talking about it, aren't they great three things? Mm. And we're going to think about that more during mm. that as well. Great. Thanks, Tim. We're going to uh, hear from you in just a moment. Great. Thank uh, you. So please uh, take a seat. And... Okay. Our reading Psalm 32. Today it's on page 395 in the Bibles. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose, whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Thanks for that, Terry. Um, please do keep those Bibles open. We'll come and have a close look at the psalm. I'll just get this out of the way so I'm not... There you go. Great. Well, it is great to be here. Thank you again for inviting me along. And it's great to be able to think together about guilt. And uh, it's my contention, actually, that, believe it or not, we don't speak enough about all the aspects of guilt when we come together as Christian believers. Uh, that might kind of sound weird. I think one of the reasons that most people uh, who don't belong to a church, people who are outside the church, maybe you if you're a visitor here today and you're not a regular church guy, one of the reasons that we feel the most pushback from people outside the church is because we're really seen as people who never ever shut up about guilt. That is, if you want to know what the church is on about, they're on about guilt. They're the guilt merchants. If you'd said to someone, oh, we're going to talk about guilt at our church on Sunday, uh, my hunch is their response would have been, well, duh. It's church. That's what you do. You guys talk about guilt. Uh, and as I say, I, I think there's a truth in that. There's a truth in that uh, we do talk about guilt a lot in our churches. The Bible talks a lot about guilt. Uh, and there's a lot that needs to be said about guilt. But I think that we don't talk about always the breadth of what the Bible says about guilt. I think that sometimes we talk about one aspect of guilt without talking about another very important aspect of guilt. 
And as we are now looking at the Psalms and you're having this uh, preaching series, Language for All Seasons of the Soul, this is a great chance to explore another aspect, another dimension of guilt, something we don't often do. You see, I think it works like this. I think there's two big parts to guilt, or two big ways of thinking about guilt. One of them is what you might call the forensic, the legal, the the justice system way of talking about guilt. And I think this is where lots of evangelical churches, perhaps not yours, but certainly many that I know of, this is the way they think about guilt. That is, guilt is a fact uh, that will be a fact we bump up against in our lives and we do wrong things and we'll have to be dealt with. So we speak forensically. You know, I, I stole a pear from my neighbour's tree, therefore I'm guilty. Doesn't matter how I feel about it, doesn't matter uh, whether it's kind of affected me personally in any way, it's a cold, hard fact that I'm guilty, that guilt has judgment that comes upon it, and that judgment needs to be dealt with. And uh, evangelical Christians tend to talk about that a lot and present the great news that the fact of our guilt is dealt with by the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to say for half a second that there's anything there that we shouldn't be talking about. There is the fact of guilt that needs to be dealt with, needs to be addressed, we need to be very serious about. But that's not all there is to guilt. You see, another very, very significant and important part of thinking about guilt is thinking about the feeling of guilt, the emotional side of guilt. Uh, The reality that guilt is not just a forensic fact. It's not just a, oh, you did the wrong thing, therefore we have to call you guilty. But guilt is something that I feel inside me. And more than that, guilt is actually an incredibly powerful emotion. Uh, Perhaps the emotion that torments us more than any other. Perhaps an emotion that can rip us apart internally more than any other. If we're dealing with the emotion of guilt, if we have that, we're carrying it around. Yes, there's the fact of guilt. That needs to be addressed. But there's the feeling of guilt. And it's my contention that it's not as often that in evangelical churches we talk about the feelings of guilt. Now, obviously, the fact and the feeling should go together. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit. Uh, But sometimes that gets broken. So though while we're dealing with the facts of guilt, we hope the feelings get sorted out too, it's often not the case. And we need to spend some time thinking about the feeling. Now I thought what I could do at this point would be to tell you a story or two about the way I've carried guilt and how I've felt about that and the emotional impact of it. But I know there's something more powerful I can do than that, which is read you... Uh, from a book where this is presented perhaps better than I've seen it presented anywhere else. Uh, The book is the great novel by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky, um, Crime and Punishment. Uh, It's probably among the best books I've ever read, and uh, I'm no kind of literary critic, but it has a wide reputation as being one of the great novels of all time. So if you haven't read it, there's some uh, bedtime reading for you, Crime and Punishment. Uh, The story is of a small town, uh, a Russian town, where there's been a murder, a double murder. Two women have been uh, horrendously slain. And uh, what the story is about at one level is trying to work out who committed the murder. So obviously they've committed the murder, they've incurred guilt, they need to be brought to justice. 
but we really see the story through the eyes of the main character, a guy named uh, Raskolnikov, a great Russian name for you. Uh, and Raskolnikov, we know from the very beginning as readers, is the one who committed the murders. So he is the murderer, and it's his story we're reading. And the whole town is abuzz with these murders. Who did it? Uh, will we ever catch them? Uh, the the uh, law enforcement officers are working hard to zero in. But we know as readers all along that it was Raskolnikov. And so the story is as much about what's going on for him as he manages to evade the authorities, uh, in some extent to run rings around them because they can't pin it on him. They suspect him, but they can't pin it on him. And, and he's able to get away from that legal dimension of guilt, that legal part of what's going on. But as you read the story, and as Dostoevsky always does so well, what we explore and learn and find out more about is his inner torment and the trials and how much he's being ripped apart by the burden of guilt that he carries, the emotional side of guilt he can't run away from, even if he can get away from the legal side. Towards the end of the novel, he admits his guilt to his lover and confidant, a woman called Sonia. And I want to read to you Sonia's reaction to his confession. Remember, the whole town's been looking for the murderer. He's now confessed to Sonia. Here's Sonia. O merciful Lord, the words tore from her breast in a terrible wail. Helplessly, she collapsed onto the bed, her face to the pillows. A moment later, however, she quickly got up, moved towards him, seized both his hands and gripping them tightly with her slender fingers that were like a vice, again began to look into his face, motionlessly, as though her eyes had been glued there. This last desperate look was an attempt on her part to seek out and catch some last glimpse of hope. But there was no hope. There remained not the slightest shadow of doubt. It was all true. Almost unaware of what she was doing, she leapt up and, wringing her hands, got as far as the middle of the room. But she quickly came back down and sat beside him again, almost touching him shoulder to shoulder. Suddenly, as though she had been cut to the marrow, she shuddered, uttered a cry, and without knowing for what reason, fell on her knees in front of him. What is it? What have you gone and done to yourself? She said despairingly. And jumping from her knees, she threw herself on his neck, embracing him and gripping him as hard as she could in her arms. Raskolnikov stared back and looked at her with a sad smile. You're a strange one, Sonia, he said. You put your arms around me and kiss me after I've told you a thing like that? You don't know what you're about. There's no one, no one in the whole world more unhappy than you are now, she exclaimed in a kind of frenzy oblivious to his remarks, and suddenly burst into violent sobs as if she were having a fit of hysteria. He's just admitted he is the murderer that everyone's looking for. Her response isn't, you horrible man, how could you do that? She loves him deeply, has a personal connection. Her response is, what have you done to yourself? She knows that the guilt he carries, the torment that is alive in his body, is destroying him. And she can't believe that the act that he has committed, that he would commit an act like this, that would so ruin him and who he is. What have you done to yourself? 
It's just a very powerful example of how destructive guilt is at an emotional and personal level. The good thing to know is that the Bible talks about this for us. The Bible does talk about that forensic legal dimension of guilt, as I said before, but also talks about the emotional dimension of guilt. Flick back to the psalm with me, if you will, where we find some great encouragement as the psalmist interacts with his own guilt. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer." Here we have someone, we don't know what they've done wrong, but the psalmist writes here of the greatness of being forgiven. Blessed is the one who's forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is not counted against him. That's a great blessing. But then turns back to reflect on his experience before he had been forgiven. And the experience was of personal torment, like Raskolnikov, perhaps like some of us when we've considered our own guilt inside. His bones wasted away. He groaned all day long. He felt, as it were, the Lord's hand heavy upon him, the the weight of that guilt. His strength was sapped. It took the life out of him. Here is someone who knows the weight of carrying around horrible, destructive guilt. And we learn, don't we, that sin is not just intolerable to God as an offence against his rules, but sin is also destructive to the human soul. It has eternal implications if we face the Lord Jesus unforgiven for our guilt. But it also has present implications as we have these knots inside that tangle us up and hurt our hearts and bear heavy upon us. The good news, of course, is that the Bible doesn't just lay out problems for us and say, well, isn't this a horrible part of the human predicament? But the Bible provides the solutions. And the solution that we have to the emotion of guilt is actually closely related to the solution for the fact of guilt and its forgiveness that comes through the Lord Jesus as a gift of the Heavenly Father. Again, the psalmist opened up, didn't he, saying, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse 5, after having felt the weight of his own guilt, he acknowledged his sin to God, did not cover up his iniquity, confessed his transgressions to the Lord and the result was he was forgiven. He was forgiven. That act of coming to God in repentance, in honesty, in saying I have done the wrong thing, I'm not going to try and hide this or bury it or cover it or act like it's not a big deal. It's all out on display. I'm bringing it to you, Lord. 
is what is needed to receive the forgiveness of the Father. The mechanism behind that, of course, we learn in the New Testament, uh, is that that guilt is transferred to the Lord Jesus Christ who bears it on the cross on the behalf of sinners so that they don't bear it themselves. The price for the guilt is paid for by Jesus, meaning that those who have confessed and effectively uh, trusted in him have that guilt taken from them, dealt with in Christ, so they're clean and clear. The record no longer stands against them and they're forgiven by God. The cross where Jesus pays that substitutionary sacrifice for us deals with our sin. And if we repent and turn back to God as the psalmist does, then our sins will be forgiven. And when we meet the Lord Jesus face to face on the last day, that record written against us we'll find will be blank we'll have all been wiped out by him Uh, this is why the psalmist really goes on uh, in verses 6 through to 11 encouraging those who are hearing this psalm to do what he did to repent let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found don't be like the horse or mule verse 9 who have no understanding that is don't be stubborn and refuse to do this. That's a foolish thing to do. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts him. The psalmist spends the second half of the psalm just pleading, do what I did. Take it to the Lord. Don't be stubborn. Don't be foolish. Don't enter into his presence not having this sorted out. And I must just say, It is a profoundly dangerous place for anyone to be. Knowing that you have guilt, that is going back to this legal, forensic, factual, judicial guilt. It is a profoundly dangerous place to be, to know you have that guilt and not to repent. Take it to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness and trust in Jesus. That's kind of like knowing the brakes on your car are broken, but choosing not to get them fixed before you go out driving on the freeway. It's a really stupid thing to do and a dangerous thing. So don't find yourself in that place. Hear the plea of the psalmist. Let everyone who is godly turn to him while he might be found and receive that forgiveness. Uh, What I've really done, though, as you'll notice, I've kind of come back now, haven't I, to talking about this this forensic fact of sin, the forgiveness, the, the sort of transactional forgiveness we get when our sin is taken away by the Lord Jesus. The gospel deals with that. That's the great news we have. But we still have this question, what about the emotion? What about the emotional side of guilt? Does the gospel deal with our emotion as well as with the facts? And it should. It ought to. And we need to keep working to apply the gospel to our emotions as well as to the facts to see that fruit. So uh, you might know that uh, the first couple of verses of this psalm, in some translations, instead of saying blessed is he, they say happy is he. There's a sense in which uh, actually there's great relief, not just kind of some abstract idea of blessing that will come in the future when I meet the Lord Jesus face to face. No, no, there's also a present experience of happiness, of relief from the guilt that's being carried. It's the emotion is changed with forgiveness. But as I said before, what should happen 
when our guilt is forgiven, the fact of our guilt is forgiven, we should feel, oh, that's fantastic. There's great relief emotionally. But in a broken and fallen world, sometimes those things are uncoupled. And though we are forgiven by Jesus because we've repented, turned to him, confessed, and our sins are taken away, we still feel guilty. We still have the emotion. What can we do with that? Why is that like that? Why is there this breaking? I want to suggest three reasons that we can still feel guilty even if we have turned to the Lord and uh, admitted our sins, confessed and uh, trusted in the Lord Jesus. Uh, The first is we might just continue to feel guilty uh, despite the fact that we've done nothing wrong. We might just have a feeling of guilt that was never even tied to any action. I think this is a problem that we can have uh, when we take on burdens that we oughtn't take on, uh, when we have a sense of responsibility that we oughtn't have. We can feel guilty for things that have got nothing to do with the facts of guilt. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. You see, the feeling of guilt is actually a gift from God. It's meant to point us to the fact. If I feel guilty, I need to explore that and go, what is that about, that feeling? Oh, that's about when I stole the pear from my neighbor's tree or whatever I did. That feeling has alerted me to that fact. I need to go and deal with that fact. Having dealt with the fact, then the feeling in God's grace should abate. But sometimes we have the feeling and there is no fact. That is, we have a feeling that I've done something wrong, but it's not tied to anything. That's a material uh, transgression, a material sin. Sometimes uh, we can have a false sense of our obligations. Sometimes we feel as though there are a whole bunch of things we should be doing, a whole bunch of things that we ought to be doing in our lives that we're not, and therefore we carry guilt. But when we kind of poke around there and we think, what is the guilt actually attached to we can't think that we've done anything wrong in this particular case but that happens when we have a false sense of our obligations a false sense of our duties sometimes it happens I think just because we can carry paranoia that we're always wrong we're always guilty maybe for some people this stems even from their childhood Maybe there are some people who've had parents who have always told them that they're wrong or that they've made a mistake or that they they stuff something up again. And so even when they haven't done things wrong, they always feel like they're in trouble. They always feel like they're guilty and carry that through to their, their adulthood and just have this looming sense of guilt. Now, if that's the case, that's wrong. That is, that's a feeling that shouldn't exist. It's a distortion of what we should be feeling. Guilt is a gift from God to point us to the facts of what we've done wrong. If we feel that we've done something wrong and we haven't, then that's something that needs to be addressed. And I'll come back to thinking a bit about how we might address it in a minute. But that's the first thing. We might feel guilty when we actually haven't done anything wrong. The second thing is, sometimes we might not feel guilty when we ought to. The opposite. This is another way that the fact and the feeling of guilt can be ripped apart. Sometimes we might not feel guilty at all and we ought to. We might do something really bad, objectively bad, and just feel fine. Just feel like, I don't really care. doesn't bother me in the least. In fact, when I think about it, I know that's probably the wrong thing to do, but I feel fine. doesn't bother me at all. 
This is a very dangerous place to be as well, isn't it? We might call this a seared conscience. Uh, We might call this uh, someone who has really switched themselves off emotionally. And it's dangerous, isn't it? Because if you have done something wrong and you wander around acting as though, well, actually, because I feel fine, then there's no reason to worry about what I might have actually done, then you're a person who will never seek forgiveness. You're a person who will never go looking for the restoration that comes through forgiveness. Worst case scenario, you're a person who will front up to the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day with a list of things that you've done wrong and say, yeah, but I don't think they're there. I don't feel bad about them. But there'll still be facts. They'll still be true. And you'll still have to face the consequences of them. This is a dangerous place to be. And again, I'll talk in a minute about perhaps a way the gospel helps us out of this place. So the first way we can decouple the fact and the feeling of guilt is by feeling guilty when we haven't done anything wrong. The second way is we can not feel guilty when we have done something wrong. The third way, I think, is we can continue to feel guilty after having done something wrong and yet repented, asked for forgiveness, trusted in Jesus. So we do do something wrong, we recognise it was wrong, we turn back to God, we, we said sorry, we committed to living uh, in a different way and the guilt didn't go away. The feeling is still there, though I've dealt with the fact. Well, what can you do with all these situations? What can you do with these emotions that uh, may not actually be healthy in comparison to the fact of the situation? Well, the gospel, I think, speaks into all of this. The gospel of our salvation. And really, what I think we need to do is soak ourselves in it. Soak ourselves in the gospel more and more. Because as the uh, psychologists will tell you, our feelings are strongly affected by our beliefs. Uh, What we think in our heads, what our default ways of thinking are, have a huge impact on how we feel. So... We need to get our thinking straight for our feelings to be right. And even if we kind of know the gospel in short measure, oh yeah, I get it, Jesus died on the cross, my sins, yeah, great, I'm okay. It may not be deep enough, may not be spending enough time in that great truth of our salvation to flow through and percolate down into our emotions. And we have to do that. We have to spend that time. So we have to learn the truth about our obligations. If we're people who feel guilty though we've done nothing wrong, really important to learn the truth about what our obligations before the Lord are. Uh, Read the scriptures. Find out what it is that the Lord requires of you. The Bible tells you. And if you find that actually it's not my job to do all these things that I feel guilty about, uh, we need to learn that and know that and own that and not inflate the, the size of our responsibilities, of our duties, so that we'll always feel guilty for not doing them. No, there's something incredibly freeing. The Bible tells us what the Lord requires of us, and it also tells us what he doesn't require of us. And if there are things that are not our responsibility, that aren't ours to deal with, we need to be free from that. But we'll only get that as we learn the scriptures and study what it is that God wants of us, see who he's called us to be and what he's called us to do, rather than carry around just a default set of assumptions and expectations in the back of our minds that aren't biblically shaped. So if you feel 
guilty when you've done nothing wrong, learn what the Lord requires of you in scriptures to set that right. Of course, uh, the flip side is right as well, isn't it? The flip side is right. Uh, because if you feel no guilt when you have done something wrong, then reading the scriptures will help you as well. If you did steal something from someone and you read through the Bible and you learn that actually theft is bad and you keep having that reinforced day by day as you keep reading the scriptures and praying to the Lord that he would make the scriptures your measure and rule for life, then God willing and by the Spirit that will per percolate down trickle down into your emotions and hopefully after reading enough in the scriptures that theft is wrong and taking something that doesn't belong to you is wrong something will wake up in your emotions and go hmm I don't quite feel as good about that as I used to maybe I do need to address that but finally I think the big one is we have to keep reminding ourselves if we're people who have carried guilt have repented, confessed, turned to Jesus, but still feel the guilt, we have to keep reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel. We have to keep reminding ourselves that there is forgiveness in Jesus, that the, the extent of our sin, though real, is completely and fully and utterly covered by his blood. We need to remember that if we feel guilty after repenting, confessing, turning back, that part of us is saying what Jesus did wasn't enough. Part of us is saying God provided, an in, God provided an inadequate solution to my problem. Part of us is saying God hasn't brought me from death to life. And when we start thinking about that, well, I can't say that about God. That's a terribly wrong thing to say about God. As my thinking about him gets corrected, it'll flow down into my own appreciation of my forgiveness. Um, I want to say that this is actually something, though, that doesn't just come quick. I've been a Christian now for over 20 years and I still have to remind myself of this because I'm someone who has a tendency to feel guilt after I've repented and turned back to God and confessed. Uh, and I have to keep reading, keep reminding myself, keep hearing it said to me that my guilt is paid for by the Lord Jesus. You can't hear that once and have it penetrate right into the, the depths of yourself and and flush through into all your emotions. You've got to keep hearing it and keep learning it, keep understanding it. You've got to keep being reminded of it. Whenever I feel like I'm dirty because of my sin and my guilt, I have to go straight back and remind myself that the blood of the Lamb has covered it. Jesus has paid for my sin. God did not send an inadequate sacrifice. God does not want me left in my guilt. God desires that I should be saved. I have followed his call to repentance. I am clean. He is the saviour of the world. He is my saviour. If I'm not repeating those truths to myself, I quickly slip back into thinking, yeah, but maybe he hasn't fully covered all my guilt, which is, again, offensive to him as well as emotionally unhelpful to me. I've got to keep reminding myself of the gospel. And I want to say that we need to do all this together. One of the great uh, failures that you can have as a Christian is to try and live the Christian life by yourself. You see, sin is deceptive. If you think that on your own you are going to be able to recognise all the false obligations you carry, if you think that on your own you're going to be able to recognise all the things that Scripture's calling you to do that you're not doing, and if you think on your own you're going to be able to remind yourself of 
the gospel in your life over and over, you're kidding yourself. Because Satan's great desire is to deceive. And, and sin is deceptive. But one of the great gifts God has given us to deal with this is each other. So we can speak into each other's lives with love, with grace, with truth. We can interact with one another. Help remind ourselves, dear brother, dear sister, that's not your responsibility. You don't need to feel guilty for that. There's nowhere that the Lord has called you to be that person and do that thing. And you say, dear brother, dear sister, you actually need to pay attention to this because the Lord has called you to act in a certain way and you're not doing it. And you need to get back on the path. We need to say to each other, dear brother, dear sister, Jesus loves you so much. And Jesus was completely sufficient as a sacrifice for you that though you might still think there's something that hasn't been, you are wrong. It is done. It is finished. He has dealt with it. It's so much more helpful to hear that from our brothers and sisters than just to say it to ourselves sometimes. So please encourage each other with the gospel as we deal with guilt. It will be an ongoing thing. Guilt will cling close as Satan, the great accuser, wants to have us wrapped up in these ideas that the sacrifice of Jesus didn't work. So we together need to be ongoingly diligent to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. Just a couple of other thoughts, though, that might be worth saying at this point. It might be for some of us that we actually need to go and get some kind of counselling if we carry a lot of guilt that doesn't seem to go away even when we've repented and even when our brothers and sisters have helped us remember the gospel. Uh, I want to say that's actually a fine thing to do. I know that there can be stigma around counselling for some people. Oh, there must be something terribly wrong if I'm counselling. No, absolutely not. And I'll say quite openly to you that I've spent many hours in counselling in my life and it's been superb. It's been very helpful to untangle some of the mess that puts me in a bad emotional place and uh, causes me to have distorted thinking. Now, it's not a substitute for the gospel. It's not a substitute for the Bible. It's not a substitute for the work of the Spirit. But it's one means that God can use to help us just sift through some of our history, some of our mess, to bring us to a healthier place. might change some of our really deep-set thoughts. I don't want to say... Don't feel in the least bit ashamed or embarrassed if you feel you need to go to counselling. Take it as a great gift from the Lord for your ongoing healing. And I want to say uh, two other things as well that will just help us round out our thinking about guilt for the day. One is that though we might not talk about this as much as we should, repentance may require more of us than just doing business with God. Repentance may require more of us than just doing business with God. A great criticism of Christianity, and I think it's a a valid criticism, is that Christian people can go around doing destructive and damaging things, say sorry to God, and God says, oh, now you're okay with me, and just leave all the mess there unaccounted for. Just leave a, a trail, a wake of disaster behind them and say, don't worry, I dealt with it with God. So all these people I've hurt, all this damage I've caused, I've dealt with it with God. Now, there's a level at which it's true, isn't it? There's a level at which any sin we commit, any offence we uh, cause to another person is an offence against God too. And we need to make it right with him. 
But the gospel is not just about the vertical relationship that we have with God. The gospel is also about the horizontal relationships we have with each other. And we see this again and again in the scriptures as Jesus and the Apostle Paul want to see relationships worked out between people as they're transformed by the gospel. It's not just get right with God and ignore everything else. It's part of getting right with God involves sorting out some of the messes we've made in our lives. So Romans 12 If possible, as far as it is dependent on you, live peacefully with everyone. If you are the reason that there is discord and a lack of peace, you need to sort it out with God. But as far as it's dependent on you, you also need to work for healing and restoration in relationships. Uh, What about Jesus with Zacchaeus in Luke 19? Zacchaeus receives salvation from the Lord Jesus. And his immediate response is, I need to make restitution with those people who I defrauded and who I cheated. I need to pay back what I took unjustly. That is, this healing of my relationship with God flows straight out into the way I want to interact with the people around me. And I need to make things right. Matthew chapter 5, of course, tells us that we need to heal rifts that we have between each other before we come before the Lord. You see... It's, again, just not the gospel that it's just between you and God. The gospel is that God is transforming each one of us as part of a community of faith who love each other, who live towards each other with forgiveness and repentance, the way that God lives, uh, that we live with God with forgiveness and repentance, and out into the world beyond as well. We need to be people of repentance, forgiveness, restoration. So my big point is repentance may require more than just doing business with God. won't require less than that, but it may require more than just doing business with God. And there may be some serious implications for some people. That is, all sins can be forgiven by God in eternity. No question. That's the gospel. Some sins might require jail time in this life. And we need to be honest and face those things where necessary. The other thing to say, just as uh, the last point, what if we're people who have done something wrong, we know we've sinned, we carry the guilt, we've turned back to the Lord, we've repented, we've confessed, we've believed in him and trusted him, and we still feel the guilt even as we continue to meditate over the gospel and have it reinforced to us, even as it's been soaking in. Well, it might be at this point that we're not feeling guilt. It's very helpful to distinguish, I think, between guilt and remorse or regret. And I think that while guilt is something we shouldn't carry once we've been forgiven, it may be appropriate And a natural consequence of our actions that we carry remorse and regret for the rest of our lives. In fact, that that really would be appropriate, wouldn't it? Imagine if you'd committed a horrendous crime. Imagine if you were Raskolnikov and you'd you'd killed two people or, or something like this. You could be forgiven by God. You could even conceivably be forgiven by your community and the family. Everyone could say, we have forgiven you. You've done your penance. We've accepted you back. But it would be pretty bad if you ever looked back on that situation and felt good about it it would be pretty bad if you look back and felt i'm I'm happy about that history no 
it would be right to still feel remorse and regret, even as a fully forgiven person. Even as a fully forgiven person. It's like the scar, isn't it? The wound might be fully healed, might have been treated, addressed, dealt with, made better, but the scar isn't going to go away. Good then just to distinguish that, isn't it? To wonder if maybe I'm not feeling guilt. Maybe there's not something I need to address anymore. Maybe that that gift from God, that feeling of guilt to deal with my sin, uh, is not what I'm feeling now, but I'm just feeling an appropriate remorse, regret, sorrow for something that I oughtn't have done. Eternally thankful for my forgiveness. Eternally thankful for the restored relationships that God has enabled me to have. But still saddened and remorseful for that history. The good news, of course, is that in the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth, that those who follow the Lord Jesus will inhabit for all eternity, there'll be no more mourning or crying. There'll be no more grief, no more sadness. I take it what that means is even the most horrendous sins that we've committed, not only will they be forgiven, but should we reflect back on them from the vantage point of being around the throne in eternity, We won't even feel sorrow at that point because so renewed and refreshed and remade will we be even over uh, all those hurts and damages, even over those things that were wrong. That'll be cleansed and healed in eternity. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we may still carry those things. It's only in eternity, of course, that we will experience the full blessings of transgressions forgiven and sins covered. Meantime, what we do is we take our guilt, we turn it into repentance and confession. We trust the Lord. We live well with each other as a bunch of sinners, humble before a holy God, and we set our eyes to the day when he will make all things new and when we will live as we ought without any sin getting in the way at all. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you know the problem of guilt that we carry, and that's the very reason you sent the Lord Jesus Christ, to deal with the fact that we are sinful, and we have sinned, and we transgress, and we offend. We thank you as well, Lord, that... You are conscious to not just of the fact, but of the feeling and of the burden that it can be to us who are sinners. And we do pray that you would help us to absorb ourselves more and more in the good news of the gospel. And as we minister to each other and work through our own histories, we would please speak healing gospel words into each other's lives and be transformed in our emotional states too. Father, please help us not to deceive ourselves. Please uh, help us not to be part of a culture of self-deception where we uh, don't help each other recognise sin. Um, please, Father, help us to be honest in, what we, uh, in the way that we live before you. We trust ourselves to you. We thank you for the full forgiveness that we have in the Lord Jesus. And we look forward to the day when... His kingdom will be fully realized and all of our pain, even the pain of our self-inflicted wounds, will be taken away. Praise be to you. Amen.